This podcast is part of the Power of Podcasting Network. Find it at powerofpodcasting.com. Today on episode number 643 of the School of Podcasting, if you've ever thought, hey, I might start another podcast, and you know what? I should probably start a podcast network. Or if you've ever thought, you know what? I bet I could get more numbers if I just joined a podcast network. Today is all about starting and joining podcast networks. Hit it, ladies. The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. Podcasting since 2005. I'm your award-winning Hall of Fame podcaster, Dave Jackson. Thanking you so much for tuning in. This is where I help you massage your message. I help you face your fears. I help you tackle that technology and flatten the learning curve and get you podcasting, but not just podcasting, because look, you can go watch a bunch of old outdated YouTube videos and do that. I get you podcasting in the right direction, in the headache-free direction, in the let's keep some money in that wallet direction. My website is schoolofpodcasting.com, and you can save 20% by using the coupon code LISTENER on either a monthly or yearly subscription. And as I said at the beginning today, we are talking all about networking today. But before we get to that, I just got done playing with a new toy. It is the Focusrite 2i2. It is a really cool USB interface. And I want to thank them for sponsoring the School of Podcasting. Number one, not that it matters, this thing's pretty. And it's built like a tank. It's metal. The knobs are super, like... I don't know, fluid? Like you, you turn them and you're, you're pretty sure they're not gonna break. And what's great about Focusrite is they've got a model that's gonna fit you. Like I'm using the 2i2, super cool. You can plug two microphones into it. Each one has their own volume knob. Check this out, not sure what your volume is, like what's the right level? Just turn it till it turns red and then back it off just a little. Perfect. Then you got a place to plug in your headphones. You plug your monitors into the back of it. So if you have, you know, you wanna have some speakers, plug them into that, super cool. Or what I did, was what if I want to back up recording? All right, so this goes USB right into Audacity, and then I plug my recorder into the back of it, so now I have a backup. So there's the 2i2, that's what I have. There's also a 2i4 that has four outputs out of the back. If you go Scarlett 6i6, kind of like the 2i4, except it's got six outputs, and check this out, two headphone jacks. That's really, really cool. They really have a unit that fits just about every need you can think of, but I loved it because now I'm on a Windows machine. I downloaded a driver, installed it, plugged in the unit, plugged in a microphone, boom, I was up and running. And I've used other devices where I try to have two, like I plug me in and then I plug in my guitar. And for whatever reason, I could not have my voice on track one and my guitar on track two. And I know you're not a musician, but hey, there's not two people in the room here. It's me and a, a guitar. And with the Scarlet, it was so, it was just a piece of cake. I was like, that's the way it's supposed to work. So thank you again for sponsoring the School of Podcasting. I'll have a link out in the show notes. Go out to schoolofpodcasting.com slash 634. Click on it. They have a cool button out of their website where you can actually say, hey, I'm not sure which model is for me. Click on the interface finder. It'll walk you through the whole thing and make sure that you have the right unit. Check it out, schoolofpodcasting.com slash 643. I'll have links right there to their website as well as some YouTube videos. You can check them out. They're pretty, they sound awesome, and they're super easy to use. Thank you, Focusrite, for sponsoring the School of Podcasting. We are all looking for more downloads. That's the honest truth. Who isn't? And some of us think the answer is maybe 
I should just start my own network, or maybe I should join a network. And sometimes it does help, sometimes, hmm, not sure. And so I reached out to Glenn the Geek Hebert. Glenn is a great friend of mine. He's been on the show many times, and he runs the Horse Radio Network. He's got a lot of great tips. I reached out to Daniel J. Lewis, the one and only from the Audacity to Podcast, but he also runs Noodle.mx. That's his network. I reached out to Chris Nessie. He was on with me on Ask the Podcast Coach. So I was talking to him about his education podcast at edupodcastnetwork.com. I had Stephen Jeanru on Ask the Podcast Coach a while back. He does the Gunna Geek podcast. I had Mignon Fogarty. I interviewed her at Podcast Movement back many moons ago. I interviewed uh, Christopher Brian Jones from Trek.fm way back on episode 412. And I've got all these clips. I'm going to put them all together and help you answer that question. Should I start a podcast network or should I join one? Or maybe you should just stick where you're at and make good content. And what I love about this is there are some things that they all agree on. And there are some things that they don't. So there's going to be part of this that I want you to look at this as a big, giant box of crayons. Like, okay, yeah, we all need borders to draw inside of. We got that. Those are the things we all agree on. But the rest of it, you might be able to go, ooh, I like this idea from this person. I like this idea from that person. Ooh, I'm going to combine these and make my own network because as it is with almost all things in podcasting, it depends. And I'll have links to all of those people out at schoolofpodcasting.com slash 643. But what was interesting is when I reached out to them and I said, you know, what are your thoughts about starting a podcast network? People like Daniel J. Lewis said this. But I really don't recommend creating a network unless you want to do a business and have all of the formality that comes with that. Christopher B. Jones from Trek.fm. I think the first thing I would tell them is don't do it <laughs> unless you have a specific vision or a roadmap. And the thing is that if you think podcasting is hard and time consuming, try running a network with 16 shows. It's, it's a really, really hard work, especially if you're trying to maintain a cohesive brand. So seriously, though, where should they start? Glenn the Geek Hebert. Why are you asking? Why do you want to do a network? What's the reason? You know, there's a lot of reasons that people will give. You know, I have one show. I think two or three shows would be great. Uh, I have a friend who's doing a show and I want to put it on the network. So there's many different reasons. Uh, the answer I'm looking for, one of the answers I'm actually looking for, you know how we always say you don't have to make money with your podcast. You can do a podcast for fun. I have helped tons of people over the last 10 years start networks. The ones who are doing it for fun don't last. You need to make money doing a network because it is a lot of time and a ton of work. And it all depends on what kind of, there's two kinds of networks. There's the kind that we have at Horse Radio Network where we produce and we are involved in the making of every show. We may not own all the shows, but we are into the production of every show. And then there's a network that you just bring feeds in from a whole bunch of different shows and they show up on your website. Chris Nessie. I would say start with your why. Why do you want to start a network? And for me, it was, I was only producing one podcast, but was addicted to podcasting and content creation. And I wanted to connect with other people in education who were doing the same thing. Daniel J. Lewis. But it was when I started the Audacity to Podcast, which was my third podcast at that time. That's when I thought, 
now that I have three podcasts, I want to also launch a network alongside all of this, and it will be one central place where people can get all of my podcasts. And I, from the beginning, I thought I want to also find other podcasters to be part of my network in a way that their branding is first and foremost. It's not going to be like, this is Daniel J. Lewis network or something like that. I wanted it to focus on them and their content. And so even though the network started with only my own content, I always wanted it to to be bigger than myself. Glenn talked about the two different types of networks. Here's Daniel J. Lewis to expand on that. Start a network if you're prepared to run a business. And it goes into what different kinds of networks there are. Like there are clubs where we're just like associated with each other. We're not really running in a business together. And there are the more formal networks where it is a business. And these are like partners or like contractors to the business. So we heard about the different types of networks. There's the I'm going to run this as a business or I'm going to run this for cross promotion. And we're starting to hear how podcasters have an idea of what is the purpose of of the network. Let's listen to Steven Janru, who does a type of network that is strictly designed for cross-promotion. We're all here just trying to help each other really just grow as, as podcasters and really kind of scratch each other's back, so to speak. It's, it's sort of like a web ring back in the day with modern mm. technology. That's the way that I look at it is, is we're all just trying to help promote each other. Don't you remember the web ring that you go on and you click next? Next. I'm on the next site. Yeah. So it's just like that, that we're all just there to try to try to help each other. So sponsorship, you know, everybody's property remains their own. Uh, we, I don't monetize the network. I don't, ha- I don't sit there and try to monetize the network itself. Uh, so that's why everybody else's property remains their own. They pay for their own hosting. So what they do with it is up to them. Um, the, we only have a few requirements. For example, we do require everybody to use an approved network pre-roll where at the beginning of the show says they're part of the network. And there's a little disclaimer in there that their opinion is their own and not of the rest of the network. Right. So uh, that's that's the main requirement that we have. So primarily it's just a, it's like a really cool cross-promotion little directory of geeky shows. Absolutely. Very cool. And again, there's no judging here. Make a network if you want to make a network. Again, as you'll hear here, it's a lot of work. Whatever style you want, this is the style of network that Glenn over at HorseRadioNetwork.com has. We're talking about you truly want to build a a network that you own the space, that you own that not maybe all the shows on the network, but you're involved in all the shows that are on the network. That includes, you know, choosing the hosts and all of those things that we'll go through here. So with the Horse Radio Network, we are really involved, even though we don't own all the shows, we're really involved in the production and we can reject any content of any of those shows, even though we don't own them. They're going on the network and we reserve the right to control the content of those shows too. Uh, partly because if it's on your network, you can get you're going to get sued too. Um, so if there's a lawsuit going to come out, they're going to sue the show and they're going to sue you, and they're going to assume you have the bigger pockets. Now, earlier we heard Stephen say where he has a disclaimer at the beginning of his show saying that the opinions of the host do not reflect the network. And when I kind of brought that up to Glenn, he said, "Yeah, but that's still not going to stop people from suing you." Even if they are suing you in a wrong way, you still have to pay to go, those people are idiots. It's not our fault. So keep that in mind. But so how do, how do I start a network? I always say it's a business. When you start a network, your show now goes from a show to a business. 
because you're running a network. And the idea of most people getting into networks is they want to make money with it at some point. If they're not making money now, they want to make money at, at some point. So you immediately, when I started the Horse Radio Network was when we started our first show. And I started, it was, we started the LLC at the same time. I had no money. I had no listeners, but I knew what I wanted to have in the future. So it was Horse Radio Network LLC at the day we put out Stable Scoop episode one, which is our first show, first episode. So you have to make decisions like it's a business. You're always, that's what changes when you're running a network. If you're running a network and you want to make money, you have to treat it as a business. It's not a play toy. If you were doing, and all of us have shows we do for fun, right? And those shows are, I treat them differently than I do the ones on the network because the ones on the network are a business and I have to make business decisions. So that's the first thing you have to be thinking of it as a business. So as you start out, sure, you have to figure out is this a cross promotional tool? Is it a business? Is it both? But you really need to first figure out what is going to be on your network. Uh, I ask, what will your ne network focus on? And I hope it's a niche of some sort. I don't even advise people that come to me and say, I want, I have 12 different shows I want to put in the network and they're not related. They're total one's about, you know, one's about riding a bicycle and the other's about uh, private coaching. I, I, I don't know what to do with that. I really don't advise people that to do a network where it's, where it's very scattered. And when you think of launching a network, it's new, it's shiny, it's exciting. And those kind of thoughts might lead you to do things that you might later regret. Because of that shiny object syndrome and because I wasn't really thinking about where I wanted this to be as a business, since at that point when I launched Noodle Mix Network, I wasn't even running my own business yet. I knew I wanted to leave my job. I knew I wanted to run my own business, but I had no idea what that business would even be, let alone that it would be in podcasting. So just a lot of poor planning or just outright lack of planning led to something that was so mixed up that it hurt its growth. And I think that was the biggest mistake I made. So think of this, you're network has not existed at this point as we record this for 14 years. It can wait a little time to get a little focused and do a little planning. Here's what's been working for Glenn. The networks I have started uh, helps people start are the hiking radio network. All about all shows involve hiking. Uh, Premier Dance Dance Network. All shows are about dance. Um, there's a good friend of, that you and I both know, the Brewing Network. All shows are about microbrews. So that kind of niche network is obviously what I know the best. All my shows are about horses, right? So I think you have a better chance of succeeding if you find a niche and then sometimes even narrow that niche down further, uh, depending on how big the niche is. So you can say all of my shows are about personal coaching, but there's 50 different kinds of personal coaches, right? So maybe even narrow it down to even further, you know, they're personal coaches for people who play tennis. So, you know what? I don't know, whatever, play sports. Your niches have a better chance, one, of making money, finding sponsors, building relationships within the niche. And also eventually, when I started 10 years ago, I said, I want to own podcasting in the horse world when podcasting becomes popular. And he does. But how do you go about naming your network? And I don't like non-descriptive names. If you're a big company with lots of dollars that can afford marketing, you can do a non-descriptive name. 
The names I just mentioned, the Horse Radio Network, the Hiking Radio Network, the Premier Dance Network, the Brewing Network, they say exactly what it is, right? And I know you believe in that too. Be descriptive in your titles because you don't have a million dollars to advertise and tell people that your cryptic name means this. They have no idea. Maybe you want to have your brand in place before you go adding co-hosts. Glenn has some great tips about getting a logo. So the logo is very, I cannot stress this enough, and people blow this all the time. Your logo for the network, the network logo, is probably the most important thing you're going to do. And I, you know what our logo looks like. It's a little horse guy that looks like a microphone. And HRN, that's it. It's HRN and the horse guy that looks like a microphone. We did that very early on. I paid I paid probably three four hundred dollars for it. It is the best three or four hundred dollars I've spent in ten years because now I can even take that little horse guy with the with the micro that looks like a microphone, and I could take the HRN away. And when people see that, they know who we are in our world. So it is like the peacock on NBC. So you keep your logos very simple, very simple. And they have to identify you directly. So if you think about all the big networks, their logos, they spend a lot of time on their logos so that immediate, they're so simple. And when you look at them, you know exactly who it is. So that is very important, more so down the road when you get bigger than now. And that was one of the best things I ever did. The other thing with your logo, and this is something to keep in mind too, and I know this is simple stuff, but... When when it's small, when it's 100 by 100 pixels, you it has to be distinctive. But now we're at the point where we have banners that are blown up to 10 by 20 feet in stadiums with the horse radio network on it, and it looks terrific and large too. So all of those things are things you have to think about that as you grow and get bigger, you're going to, you, just like major networks, that becomes so important. And it's something you don't think about when you're first starting out, but you should. The other thing is, I believe in if you're going to have a network, uh, have the initials be good. So like HRN. Now we say, uh, most of our listeners say HRN now. It's like NBC. That does stand for something. There's there's words associated with it. But right now, most of our listeners say HRN. That's what they know us by. Uh, so, you know, those initials that I use for that corporate logo have now become their own thing. And be careful thinking you can make your own logo. I've tried this. I am okay in different photo programs, but in almost all cases, when I have somebody else who is an actual graphic designer, they always do it better. Another great tip is you probably want two different versions of your logo. Yeah, we have two. The one that's rectangle, we actually have, we have HRN, but we also have the word spelled out. Horse Radio Network, because you have room for that. The square one is just HRN. Which will look so, good on a mic flag. It looks good on a mic flag. It looks good on a t-shirt. It looks, you know, it looks good anywhere um, on hats. So, you know, all of those things you have to keep in mind. It really is something that you have to think about the future. If you want this to be a large network, you have to treat it like a business. And you have to, you have to think about the future. And podcastdesigns.com did my logo. They did Glenn's logo. I have links to everything out at schoolofpodcasting.com slash 643. There's 99 designs, but you don't have to spend a million bucks. But what if you go, I've only got one show. Can I still start a network? Yes. Start the network immediately. So if you know you're going to start a network with one show or you have one show already and you want to start a network, start your network. 
Buy your network name immediately. Don't let that go. So as soon as you decide a network name and get your artwork done, buy that name, the .com, the dot whatever you want to buy, as many as you can afford. And then build that network out. Immediately put the bumper like Dave has, like I have at the beginning of your episodes, even though you only have one show on the network. This is the Horse Radio Network. A lot of people resist that because they say, well, it's not really a network. But what you're doing is, is you're building the branding from the start. You're getting that in their head. They don't care that there's only one show. They're not sitting there thinking, ah, that jerk only has one show and he calls it a network. They're just wondering if they like your show when the next one's coming out. But you're building that brand in their head every time. Don't waste time by not building the brand. So as you start to shape things, you might also start to consider what are you going to do what are your hosts going to do? What is the whole purpose of your network? Here's Daniel J. Lewis. To help the podcasters who are independents, I still consider the podcasters on my network to be independent, to help them take a great show and make it even better and to work with similar podcasters for a sort of a rising tide raises all boats kind of thing where we could support each other. We could leverage the overall reach of the network for greater good. And of course, a business model to all of this as well as helping the podcasters and the network to monetize. And of course, every network is going to be different. Here's what Daniel does for the people on noodle.mx. I see my network as providing more of the back end and the big picture help. So as it comes to individual episodes, the podcaster is very much in control of their own content, their own show notes. They write their show notes. They manage the editing, the uploading, the media hosting, all of that. The kinds of things that I then provide for them is I provide the website hosting on a powerful server. Um, I provide the WordPress backend support, which is more than simply a WordPress website, but I have a lot of premium plugins that I've purchased developer licenses for so I can install them on all of my sites. So they get all of these extra features that they would otherwise have to pay for. Like Pretty Link Pro, for example, is one of the things. So they get the features and benefits of that and some affiliate plugins and such. And then there's the, the big picture aspects of helping them with their branding, like designing their cover art, uh, banner images that they need for their site so that the visual branding of the network is fairly consistent. Uh, then the the advertising that we work with, uh, we started working with Jessica Kupferman and now she's sold that business over to True Native Media. So that's who we work with to work on our ads. So it's that big picture stuff that I'm supporting, letting the individual podcaster really function as an independent podcaster, even though they are part of a business-oriented network. So you've done some planning. You've set some expectations. You've defined some roles. Now it's time to maybe actually add a show to your network. The way I recommend people if they're looking at starting a network is start with a general show about your niche. So we started out with a show called Stable Scoop that was about everything in the horse world. It was a little bit of everything. It didn't focus on any one thing. The reason I recommend that is it appeals to the widest audience in your niche. So you you have a chance of drawing everybody in that niche. Let's say it's hiking and you, you start a general show about hiking. You're going to draw everybody in the hiking world into that niche. At, at, you're into that show. It could be interested. So that when you start doing nichier shows, 
when you start siloing out your niches, then you have already a large base that some of those people are going to be interested in. So I do recommend that you do a general show in your niche and then start siloing it out and breaking it down from then on. What I also recommend at the start is make a list of all the potential shows that could be in your niche over the next five years. So if you know I'm doing a hiking show, I'm doing a hiking network, and I want to do a specific show about the Appalachian Trail and one about the Pacific Crest Trail and one about trails in Europe, and we're going to have all these different shows, make a list of all those potential shows and keep that handy because the next thing I'm going to tell you may seem weird, but it's the way it happens is the shows are going to find you when they're supposed to start. So I never went out and looked for a specific show. I always waited for the show to find me. And what that means is doing the general show we did, I would interview somebody and I would go, oh, that person knows a lot about this niche and they're a great guest. They would make a good host. So I always found the hosts and built the niche shows around the hosts. So uh, you know as well as I do, people come for the content, they stay for the hosts. So your hosts are your most important part of your, your, of your entire network. And, th and that's why I, I build the shows around the hosts. So I may have started shows in a different order in the niches that I thought would they would go initially, but it's because the host showed up in my lap and it worked out that way. So don't be married to, I got to do shows in this order. Because that's not the way it's going to work out. Christopher from Trek.fm. And so then I will also outline possible topics, uh, you know, a long list of these are things we can cover on the show. So we can make sure that we've got a dozen or two dozen or more topics because you need sponsors need to know what topics you're going to cover as well so that the sales staff can go out and actually sell advertising for the magazine so that's important as well. Daniel J. Lewis. I wanted shows that were only clean because I knew that already I was attracting a family audience and I prefer clean content myself. So that was one main requirement. And over the years, the other requirements changed as well to recognize what could I work with. So certain limits like an a show that already delivers about 500 or so downloads per episode. That's easier to work with than a show that only gets 100 downloads per episode. And I know I'm saying 100 or only with quotation marks around it, but looking at this from a network perspective, what is easier to leverage to not only grow the network, but also grow the other podcasts? And there were other things too, like, is it good content? Is it content I would listen to? Is it content I think other fans of my network, which that right there is a bad assumption, but other fans of my network might also enjoy this other content. I believe all of our contributors today would say they've had people bring shows and ideas to them. And what if you're like, hey, you know what? I want to start a business. It'd be great to start a business with my friends. Well, that's what Mignon Fogarty, you might know her as Grammar Girl from the Quick and Dirty Tips Network that's what she did. And here's how it turned out. Yeah, my friend, you'd be good at a show. <laughs> well, because I could be fun and it could also get sticky because they always say, don't go to work with your friends or don't, you know, work for your friends. How did you handle setting that up? Like if somebody wants to set up a network, mm -hmm. what are kind of like networking 101 
like setting up because there's going to be money involved now? And, and Yeah, it was actually really tough. And I would say don't work with friends again. I mean, mostly it was really good, but there were some really tense moments and problems and that made me sad with, you know, when you're dealing with friends. Sure. So, you know, I, I wouldn't do it, actually wouldn't do it that way again. You know, you have to be very businesslike and you have to have contracts yep. and you have to make sure, you know, I ha- and I did, I had contracts and I was really clear, but you know, my friends, they were like, well, I did it because I was your friend and I thought it'd be fun. And then when I, when I partnered with McMillan to the, do the network, it became mm-hmm. a real business. And suddenly everyone's looking at their terms and saying, well, that's, you know, I was doing it because I thought it'd be fun to do it with you. And now we're like this business with a big publisher and it's totally different. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But so none of those original people are still with the network. And that was one thing. I mean, even for Grammar Girl, like, I didn't imagine that I would do it forever. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons it's not me. Like, I I don't want to be, I'm not the kind of person who wants to be in the limelight. Mm. And so that's why the avatar is a cartoon. Mm. And it's Grammar Girl. It's not Mignon Fogarty. And right. so the idea was that, I well, I, can't, I, I know a lot of people who are entrepreneurs. And I wanted to build something that would last for decades. Right. But I didn't. I don't want to be grammar girl when I'm seventy, <laughs> you know. So I built it. Today so that, we're going to be talking about semicolons. Right. So I built it so that we could swap hosts, so that new people could come in and take over, hmm. and and so that you know turned out to be really good because podcasting is a grind, right? And some people just found that they didn't want to do it anymore. And so we could bring in a new host for the show and keep that show going and had an established listener base. What a great way to plan for the future. Well, if this was a movie or a play, there'd be some sort of audition process. And that's what Chris and Glenn do. Because everyone on my network is someone who I've, I've met and gotten to know them because we have a show called The Ready Room, which is our second oldest podcast. And it's a roundtable discussion about Star Trek. And it's a great way for me to bring new people into the panel and get to know them and how they view Star Trek and how they interact with others in a discussion setting. And from there, I can figure out if they are good hosts for their own podcast. Yeah, I always uh, I always audition the host by not telling them they're being auditioned and bring them on as a guest. Because you and I know in three minutes, you know whether that person's going to be... Uh, uh, that you're going to be able to work with the person, one that you want them on your network representing the horse radio network too, and that they're just going to be a good host. Uh, you kind of get a feel for it after a while. And if you're going to know what you like and what you don't like. And, and I always say every one of your hosts on your network, you should be able to go to dinner with, have a good time, or, you know, go away on a trip with on a weekend and have a good time. That's the kind of host you want. The ones that I've had over the years that I, I, I wouldn't say I wanted to do that haven't lasted. It hasn't worked out. So, uh, you know, we have, tw- I counted before we came on, we have 28 hosts now on the network. And every one of them I'm friends with. We're friends. You know, we go to dinner when we're in the same town and we just like to hang out. And that's the kind of people you want to hang out with and you want representing your network. My first show was for musicians and I was interviewing this piano player who traveled all over the world. And she said, look, when you're auditioning guitar players, if there's a tie in the talent department, you always go with the person that you can get along with the best. Here's some more criteria. This one from Chris Nessie. If you're brand new and you're telling me I'd like to start a podcast and be on your network. Yeah. I say no, because what I do on the back end in terms of how I do the website and it's a lot of it's automated and I'm hands off with it. I don't want to go through those steps to add you 
And then in three episodes, you're like, ah, and I don't even hear from you. And yeah. now your podcast is dead. If you're on SoundCloud, I try and coach you out of that. <laughs> so I have a bias towards people who use SoundCloud and even anchor a little bit, but it depends on who you are and what your show is about. So I don't know. I'm really kind of weird about it. That's and right. I listen to your audio quality. Yeah. You know, if you sound like you're sitting in your faculty room around a blue Yeti and like the audio quality is bad, <laughs> I'm not going to take you. So if you listen to the shows that are on it, they're higher quality, you know, and I'm not even so much concerned with the content because I'd love to get subject specific podcasts, you know, whether it's history, science, right. Um, I'm looking for good quality sounding audio. So that way it, there, there's a certain image I want to have. Uh, I, I also ask people questions. Like I'll say, okay, I'll listen to your first and last episode and answer some of these questions. One of which is, you know, how do you grow and learn as a podcaster? Mm -hmm. And, you know, why do you want to join a network? And if their thing is, I want to get my show in front of more people and kind of basically ride your coattails of what you're doing, that's a no for me. <laughs> if they tell me that, you know, they're doing stuff that, you know, from learning from people like you and, and other podcasters that it's like, well, you're doing kind of shady and not the best way of growing as a podcaster right you're out because i don't want to be a part of that or have you sully my waters steven john from gonna geek what we actually have is there's a few of us uh myself there's sp uh my co-host on better podcasting chris farrell and cody goff and we all are part of the committee the gonna geek network review committee and we get applications and we ask people to submit some information and we review the podcast and see if we think they're a good fit for the network it's not always just one specific thing. Like we're not looking for a certain level of audio quality or we're looking for them to talk specifically about this genre. We're looking for the overall fit because as I mentioned, we are all hobbyists who are really just sharing the passion. So we want to make sure that they're the right fit. And there's lots of podcasts that we say no for reasons like quality. There are some that we say that no, we just don't think that your show is in line with sort of the tone of the network. So we all look at it. We all talk. Uh, ultimately, it is my decision. I am the owner of Gunna Geek, but uh, I do value all of the network members' uh, opinions. And over the years, there have been other people who have been on that. Uh, we used to have seven people who would look at it, but uh, it can sometimes be a little bit time-consuming. And I just, I just solicit feedback from the, the network. Congratulations. You've identified a new host for a new show on your network. It's time for things to get a little awkward. And that is, you have to create a contract that clearly identifies the roles, expectations, and responsibilities of the network and the host. Glenn Hebert, Horse Radio Network. So we have contracts everywhere, all right? So our hosts have agreements, and the agreement, if it's a Horse Radio Network-owned show, we own the shows and we're paying the host, then we own the content. That's written in there. Uh, they have a 30-day out. All of our agreements, even advertising agreements, have that. So they have a 30-day out. They can bail out and go away in 30 days. And I don't want to keep a host around who doesn't want to be there anyway, right? right. So I just replace them. You know, if, if the show's worth keeping, I'll try and find a substitute for the host. And I've had to do that over the years. You know, we've been in 10 years. Some of these shows are eight, nine years old. We've had to replace hosts because you know how people's lives go on. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Babies happen. <laughs> but if the show is worth it, then you find a new host. And in many cases, our numbers have gone up after the host has left. Because, you know, it's, it brings fresh life. You get new ideas. And that's usually what it is. It's not the host was terrible. It's just there's new ideas coming right. in to the, to, the play, to the show. 
So if it's an affiliate show where they're coming to us and they own the content, we have a, agree, a very lengthy agreement with them that says a couple of things. And this is important, too, because you're going to run into this. These are all things we run into is now we're doing their production and now they want, you know me, I believe in consistency and never missing episodes. So it is actually written in the agreement with the affiliates that if they miss an episode, if their hosts don't show up to record an episode, we will put an episode out. We'll do a best of, we'll cobble an episode together. We charge them for that episode and we get, we fine them a, a, a double amount. So we charge them twice for that episode so they have to pay the normal episode fee and double that in a fine for not showing up so th guess what they don't miss episodes i'm gonna say that solves that problem <laughs> real quick they never miss episodes so that's important to keep your consistency up because they'll play games with you that solves the games right from your contract from day one uh, we had one that wanted to quit. We we do a six month or a year contract. We had one that wanted to quit uh, two months ahead of their year contract. We build them for all the remaining episodes, and they paid it. Nice. Yeah, because it's in the contract. Right. You know, it's a contract. This is a business. Yeah. Okay, and you have to treat it like a business. I, was that mean to do? Probably, but it, it was a contract. We put our time and effort into it. And, you know, we figure our time and effort, we put a lot on the front end of building these episodes and getting everything done. And that's built into the entire year of the contract. So, you know, we know we have to make a certain amount of money to make profit over a year's period of time. So if they if they cut out two months ahead of time, then we're losing money, you know, and we could be your profit you're losing in that two months. Probably is, actually. So you have to do that. So there's contracts all the way around. Another thing the affiliate agreement says, if they decide to break away from the horse radio network, they own the show, let's say it's a magazine doing it. They own the show. They want to break away and do it themselves. They can do that after the year contract. They can give us 30 days notice and they can break away. But we, in our agreement, it says we can keep their produced episodes that we've done on the network for a year. So we keep them on the network for a year and then we'll drop them off. So yeah, we're, we have the right to do that. Now, can they take a copy of that and put it on yes. there? Okay. Yeah, we don't care. And they'll t they can have the feed, but we're still going to keep it on our, our right. you know, our network. Yeah. Daniel J. Lewis from noodle.mx. I've approached the network as a business thing. I'm running it like a business. So I need to have these contracts in place. There are things in place to say, if you want to leave, here's what you get to keep. Here's what you don't get to take with you. I always say, you keep your RSS feed. You keep all of your content. So that I, I don't want a podcaster to feel like they got screwed because they were on the network or because they left the network. I want them to take their audience with them. So I let them keep all of those rights, but there are other things in our requirements. Uh, so yes, there are contracts that I have with each person participating in the network so that we know what to expect of each other. We know what we're promising of each other. We know what the procedure is to follow if we want to end the relationship so that everything can be done decently and in order and relationships, personal relationships, not be broken because we decide a business relationship isn't a good fit. Here's more criteria from Glenn Hebert. We never add a show on the network without funding. We couldn't do that in the very beginning. In the very beginning, it was actually costing us a little money before we had the advertising support to do all the shows. But probably our third or fourth show in, then I would not add a show unless we had a sponsor for the show paying the bills or it was an affiliate show where they were paying us. Because you can't have 10 shows that you're paying hosts that are a drain on you because it's a business. 
we've also canceled shows along the way where we've lost sponsorship and the the the, the number the numbers didn't justify it the downloads didn't justify it we didn't have any sponsorship it was costing us money we'll let that go for a little while but then we have to cancel a show it's just like a network you know they they're good there's shows that make it shows that don't that's it and uh, so, so if if somebody comes to you they go through your process you've had them on and they're a great guest they're going to be should be a great host but they don't have a sponsor what's your advice to them my advice is uh, get a sponsor <laughs> okay, uh, go find one <laughs> Now, if it's a show that I want to bring on as one of our horse radio network owned, where I know we have sponsors that mm. would fund that show, yeah. then we'll bring them on as a host and we'll pay them. And we pay our hosts, you know, varied amounts. It's not a lot of money. In some cases, they do it because they want the exposure for other books or their clinicians or their professionals that they want exposure. So they'll do it for nothing. And and then some will pay, you know, $50, $100, whatever it is, depending on the host. So you don't so, do any kind of like percentage of... Okay. That's, <laughs> that was my next thing. Everybody wants to start that way. And we did. We started a percentage of advertising. This is the nightmare that you don't think about when you own a network is, okay, so I have a show A where the hosts are over here and that host helps find a sponsor. They know somebody that wants to sponsor. That's great. They get a percentage. They get 25, 50% or whatever. And then all of a sudden, the sponsor came to me and said, okay, I've been on that show for six months. I want to move to one of your other shows. Guess who's not making a percentage anymore and gets really mad that the sponsor moved to another show? Your hosts that brought that sponsor in. Mm. So all of a sudden now I had a mess. I had sponsors that wanted to move among shows because they, they want to be on the network. They don't want to be on just one show necessarily. They want to rotate. A lot of mine rotate through shows. And I had all kinds. It was a mess to figure out. It was a nightmare to calculate. And my hosts were always mad because when a sponsor left, they weren't making any money. So that's when we went to flat rate. We pay the host, we absorb, we take all the money in, and then we absorb uh, any losses. Like there'll be sometimes some of my shows won't make any money for three or six months, and then they'll be back to very profitable again. But then there's other shows that are making up for that. So as long as the balance is always there, I'm, I'm in good shape. Well, and the one thing that you've talked about in the past is you don't do CPM. You do flat rate for, yes. for advertising. So that's otherwise that would be a whole other nightmare. Yes. I cannot imagine how you'd figure that out. <laughs> Speaking of sponsors, here's Daniel J. Lewis. We bill a flat rate generally. We have done some CPM cost per thousand downloads in the past, um, but our, even our flat rate is basically based on the expected reach of an episode. But we've had some episodes that have really taken off. And so in those cases, the sponsors really got a good deal because they were paying for one price and the audience was up to double that in some cases. But there's more to building a network than just sponsors. You need everything to be crystal clear. And we also spell out in that agreement what their obligations are, what they have to do. They have to book guests. They have to show up to do the show. They have to they have to promote it. They have to do all, everything on their end. But we also spell out exactly what we do. We do production. We do editing. We do the website. We do all the feeds. We do, you know, we put it here. We put it there. We put it on Facebook. In the agreement, it spells out every line of that. So everybody knows who who's what responsibility are. That also gives me, an, you know, an opportunity to go back and say, hey, look, you know, you, you're forgetting to do this. And usually it's they simply have forgotten to do it. And remember, in Glenn's case, sometimes shows are coming to him because they want to be part of his network. They're paying Glenn to produce his show. What happens if that person 
for lack of a better phrase, loses their mind and starts saying really stupid stuff. Well, we have the right in that agreement to take out anything that's said in a podcast so we can edit it out. So when our producers are doing the show, they they know what we're going to flag. If it's something that, you know, it's controversial or political or whatever, they then contact me before in, before it's even edited and say, here, take a listen to this. And then I'll contact the host and say, we can't put that in. So we take it out even before it goes out on the air. So we have the right. It's one of the advantages for us producing the shows. Right. We have the right to that. Anything that's said, that goes out in the air. Because again, you're both getting sued. But by having those awkward conversations, getting the contracts involved, you avoid situations like this. Very rarely do I have to go to a podcaster and say, hey, such and such, uh, that's not really fitting for the network. I think that's only happened once. It avoids 99% of the crap. So as the manager of the network, you're probably going to be the person knocking on doors and trying to get sponsorship and realize that sometimes your host might be able to actually get their own sponsor. This is something you have to have in place. We do offer the host, though, a commission for leads. So if they give us a lead and they're instrumental in helping us find a new sponsor, we'll pay them 25% across the board. No matter what show they go on, it doesn't matter. We pay them like we would pay a salesperson. So the hosts do get paid for leads. Daniel J. Lewis. But we have a profit-sharing agreement with those that are on the network that if they want to negotiate their own advertising for their own show, like they know, hey, I want to go to Apple and get Apple to sponsor my podcast, I can say, good luck, go ahead and do that. And if you do that, then you'll need to owe the network this smaller percentage back. But if then we, as the network, negotiate the sponsorship for you, then the network gets a larger portion of that. Awesome. Now, not only do you have a bunch of hosts, you have a whole sales team. Mm, not so fast. Ultimately, you are the salesperson. I have tried hiring salespeople over the years, and I've made, during those times that I relied on a salesperson, we have made no money, no new money. They just, you're the, you're the salesperson. You're the person that the sponsors want to hear from because you're it. You're the brand. So in my case, I, you know, to my detriment, actually, if I want to sell this company, I become the brand. So that, that is a positive and a negative all at the same time. One of the key ingredients of any kind of business is relationships. And in the case of having someone else bring in a sponsor, you still want to get to know them in the event that that relationship with the original host goes sour. So with our affiliate shows, they're responsible. They pay us a flat fee to produce their show. They sell their own sponsors, but part of the deal is we will work with those sponsors directly to do the to build the advertising. And you say, well, why don't you have them do that? You know, they're making the money. It's because then I'm building a relationship with the sponsor. So when they want to branch out off more than one podcast, they already know me. So in a way, it's a sales technique for future sales. So you always have to be thinking about who am I? Who am I developing a relationship with and who knows me? And you have to make sure that those sponsors on affiliate shows know you. And if that sounds like more work, it's because it is. So when I asked Glenn in the early days when he was doing everything, what was his day like? And that was probably with 10 shows. And then we started getting help with editing it. We were doing everything. And we were probably each working 100 hours a week. And the one thing you don't think about when you get to the point we are now with 15, going to be 17 shows here shortly, is the paperwork involved. 
just in everything billing we you know she sent out it took it takes my wife to do a day and a half to do the billing for sponsors so everything takes time and time is your enemy now i've dumped off more of my duties and i am the salesperson and i've just gotten rid of some of the everyday stuff that i used to do also and oh by the way we do 17 shows with two full-time people and two part-time people and we put out about 60 episodes a month what if he, what if somebody goes, well, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't really like sales. Uh, don't get started in a network. <laughs> that's that's pretty plain it. and simple. Don't do it. You're going to be the salesperson. Ultimately, they're going to come to you. Even if you hire one of these companies, uh, they ultimately want to talk to you. I mean, at some point, somebody wants to talk to you. And if you're in a niche and you're going flat rate advertising and you're not going you know, CPM, then you're going to be the salesperson. You're the voice and you've got to, you're, we are all in sales. I don't care what you're doing. You're, you're in sales. Even if you're a host on a show, you're in sales because what you're doing is selling your message, right? Yeah. Uh, you're always selling. We're always selling. People don't like to look at it that way, but we're selling a message. We are selling, trying to get new listeners. You're always selling your, your, what you're selling is your content, but you're selling it. And you might be thinking, but I'm going to sell ads across my entire network. Well, remember, depending on how you planned your network, depending on what type of shows are on your network, that may not be the case. I have never had an advertiser that went on all of the shows on my network because it's so mixed up. Now, I have had advertisers that because we have two productivity podcasts, Beyond the To-Do List and The Productive Woman, I have had advertisers go on both of those because they see it as, wow, this is cool. Two separate podcasts with some crossover audience, but also kind of appealing to two different audiences, but about the same topic. They see it as a win then, and they get a special deal if they're doing both podcasts. But for like Asana, for example, might make sense to sponsor the productive woman and be on the to-do list, but it doesn't make sense for Asana to sponsor a podcast about the TV show Once Upon a Time. So we didn't have crossover like that in the same way with our TV show fan podcast when they've had sponsors, the sponsor would not at all be interested in the audience for the other podcasts. And that again, was a mistake I made in building the network. I think you get the picture. Things are really busy. You have a lot of things in the air that you're juggling. And sometimes things sound like this. I I do have an agreement that the hosts have signed when they joined the network that said they would cross promote and such. But I didn't really enforce that all that much to say something like, hey, this month, everybody promote this new show or this special episode or something like that. We don't get very formal about that. And that's a mistake, I think, on my part. And congratulations. The first episode of the new show on your network is ready. And oh, yeah, what are we going to do about the website? I think this really depends on the kind of network that you want to have. And I've certainly made a lot of mistakes in how I've run my own network. And, and I would not recommend anyone to model how I've done my network in creating their own network. But yeah, when it started... I was so excited that, hey, everybody, these separate websites for our podcasts are now going to merge into a single website that has all of the podcasts from the network. Because I was looking at other podcast networks like Twit, Revision 3, GSPN, many others, where they had a single site and all of the podcasts existed on that site. But a problem that I realized with that is one of the inherent problems of my own network. And that's that my network is so mixed 
that the individual podcasts are not necessarily relevant to each other. And that's a big problem. I, I mean, right here, I'll tell you, if you've got podcasts that are all over the map, don't put them into a network unless it's just some kind of club or something. But uh, like when you look at Twit, they're all podcasts about technology, something that happened in technology within the last week. My podcasts were a comedy podcast, a Christian critical thinking podcast, a podcast about podcasting, a couple TV show fan podcasts, some productivity podcasts. It's all over the map. So what I realized is that having them on a single website was hurting each one of those podcasts from really being optimized for growth. So if you went to, at that time, it was noodle.mx for the everything. If you went there looking for a comedy podcast, you might instead see the latest episodes for a podcast about podcasting or a podcast about a TV show, and then it doesn't seem as relevant. And then the branding of it too would be the network branding much stronger than the individual branding and then thinking about advertising and promoting affiliates or banners or whatever, any of that was becoming much more difficult because the network was so diverse. I couldn't really make any one thing strong. It's like people say a jack of all trades and master of none. That's what my network was like. And so I decided to split those out into separate domains running with a WordPress multi-site backend, which is a technical thing. Just they're separate websites basically to the public. That was much better, I think, because then the clean comedy podcast could focus on being optimized for that audience. The productivity podcast could be focused on that audience. And the branding was focused. The advertising was focused because it was so diverse. It made so much more sense for my own network for each podcast to have its own website. Here's how Glenn handles his website. Uh, Build a website with the network name. Have a landing page for each show. One website is what I recommend for the network. I started out, made a huge mistake of having a separate website for each show and then having a website for the network. Well, that means I had to duplicate every post that I did. And now 10 years later, we're duplicating every post on 15 shows. It was the biggest mistake I've made. So new shows now, we're just putting them on the main site on the Horse Radio Network with their own landing pages. And it was I recommend a network website with all of your shows, have separate landing pages and sections. You can do that now with Divi Builder and things. It's much easier to have, uh, you know, to do that. And I'll have links to the Divi Builder out at schoolofpodcasting.com slash 643. Here's how Chris Nessie automated some of the website duties. It's a Google blogger blog website that I kind of pimped out with a theme. Nice. But it has like our shows, everything posts automatically. I use if this, then that to generate the posts based on if there's something new in your RSS feed, make a post. Oh, there you if go. This, then that, I was able to put in the code. So like their show artwork shows up every time. So there's a lot of things that I've just kind of automated that, that make it hands off. And I want to thank Daniel J. Lewis from the Audacity to Podcast and from Noodle.mx. He's been very transparent, sharing some of the growing pains he's gone through with his network. Now let's turn the tables and talk about some of the positive things of having a podcast network. Daniel J. Lewis. Laura McClellan from The Productive Woman often says that she counts our relationship in the network as one of her big keys to her podcast success. And I, I love that. And I love seeing what we've been able to do for some of these podcasts and how I've been able to help them optimize and then 
there's the, yeah, there's monetization to that as well, since I'm running a business here. I really think it was because of the network that I won the podcast award back in 2013, because our whole network did rally together to say, hey, everybody vote for these shows, nominate these shows. And every year that we've leveraged the network to do that, almost all of our podcasts were finalists in the podcast awards. Now, only one year did we actually win, but that leverage of the network is exciting for the hosts as well to know that they're kind of part of this community. Steven Jeanru talks about how his community over at gunageek.com has been boosted. And well, there's been lots of really good resulting interactions that we've had just from these connections. Like this past year, SP did two podcasting panels with members of the Gunna Geek Network in two different locations at, at two different conventions. Uh, and they weren't podcasting conventions. They were actually more along the lines of like a geek convention. And that never would have happened if uh, we didn't have the network. These He was able to meet these people there. Um, and there's lots of other examples of that as well. We have somebody named Lauren. And she did this awesome video last year and met up with somebody else on the network who did the video. And what it was, was they were trying a NASA prototype car and just want something that they want to try to send. I think it was to Mars one day. And mm. it was it was really neat because they got to go do this geeky thing together. And again, they found each other through the network. So it worked out really well. Nice. Trek.fm does a lot of cross promotion. All their shows are about Star Trek. Does it work? We have 16 right now. And then we have a master feed, which makes a 17th feed that we have. And that has all of our episodes from all the shows in one place where people... Because we have listeners. It amazes me. I don't know how they do it. We have listeners who actually listen to everything we put out from all of our shows. So the podcaster is benefiting. What about the sponsor? But you also make sure that the that the uh, that the ad reads are good too. I mean, you're also quality controlling the ads to make sure they succeed uh. because you want that sponsor even on an affiliate show to succeed. One, the affiliate show will be around longer, and we have about a seventy percent retention rate on our sponsors over five years. Nice over five years. So, and by the way, nobody ever asks our numbers. Really, nobody. And not only can you harness the power of your co-host as a network, you can also harness the power of your listeners, Glenn the Geek. We did our own app. And I know you can do this for Libsyn with networks now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You can do your own phone app or mobile app. We did our own years ago. And actually, we got lucky because one of our listeners had something they wanted to sell and advertise. And he was also an app developer. So we made a deal. We would run advertising for a year if he'd build our app. So that was nice. Um, and he's still doing it. We still pay him to do the app all these years later. We get about 25% of our downloads from our own app now. Um, we just did the World Equestrian Games 15 days of shows at uh, an event. All day, every day. We did shows every night, wrap-up shows, interviews all day. It was the most tiring thing I've done in a long time. In the middle of uh, a hurricane, by the way. In the middle of a hurricane, yes, exactly. In North Carolina. Uh, we picked up a thousand downloads to our app in, in those 15 days. Wow. So, you know, we average, I would say, I just looked at that. We average about 500 downloads a month on our app. So it has paid off having your own app over time. The reason I believe in having your own app is you have them in your walled garden. If they're coming in to listen to one of your shows, they're more likely to click on another show and not get distracted by NPR. Right. Because they're in your app and they're more likely to go, well, I'll try that show. I'm in here and all I have to do is hit play. 
They don't have to do anything. They don't have to subscribe. They don't have to do anything except hit play. So I think that's really helped us over time. So there's a great example of Glenn knowing his audience and putting pieces, in this case, an app together to make it easy for them to consume his content because his audience may not be that technical. And that brings up a great point. We've talked about how the podcaster benefits and how the sponsor benefits and how the cross promotion is working. Daniel J. Lewis brought up a great question when it comes to starting a podcast network. I think we should also think about the benefit to the potential podcast listener and how your network can help them. And that's where I think also the type of network that you decide to make matters a lot. Focus on how your network can provide better value to your audience. For example, if you have the Chess Podcast Network, then it's very likely your audience will also be interested in the other podcasts on the network. So you are doing them a service by letting them know, here are other great podcasts on our network also about the same thing or whatever that similarity is. Maybe it's that there are other podcasts about the same topic. Maybe it's a similar topic. Maybe it's something like your network is all family-friendly, children-friendly podcasts. So the topics are quite varied, but your audience can know any other podcast on our network is appropriate for children and your children will enjoy it. Something like that. Look for that benefit to your audience and that makes your audience much more loyal too. You'll see crossover in your network just by the nature of people like you. So if you have a network where you do other podcasts, then they're likely to check out your other podcasts too. Not all of them, but some of them, like even in my own network. So I did the Clean Comedy Podcast, the podcast about podcasting, and a podcast about the TV show Once Upon a Time. I've had audience members who joined us first for the comedy podcast, and then they heard that we were starting a podcast about a TV show, so they got interested in listening to that other podcast, so they started watching the TV show so that they could listen to our other podcast. And then... There have been some of those people who went through that path and then decided, I want to start my own podcast. And then they check out the Audacity to podcast. So they consume the different content because they've gotten to know, like, and trust the hosts. And even when Once Upon a Time was ending, I think the most common question that we got from our audience is, what's your next TV show fan podcast? We want to listen to it. Whatever it is, we want to listen to it. And that's a yeah. And that's a great power, a great value that you can provide to your audience. And that I think should really be our focus when we're thinking about making a network is how is this network going to serve the audience better? Mm, well put, my friend. And you might be saying, Dave, uh, you haven't chimed in on any of this. Don't you have a network at powerofpodcasting.com? Well, Daniel can explain it like this. And you could apply that same thinking to your own podcasts as well, that you might not necessarily, if you host five podcasts, you might not have to make a network, but you could simply say, hey, if you like my podcast, check out the other podcasts that I host over at powerofpodcasting.com. And that's exactly what I did. I had somebody once that said, hey, I found your show. I didn't realize you did a show for musicians. And I said, yeah, I did. Are you a musician? He goes, no, but I think you're funny. I've been listening to it. 
which I still kind of scratch my head on, but okay, that's flattering. So if you ever want to see all the shows I do, you can go over to powerofpodcasting.com. I'm actually going to be working on that site in the future. I did find out it's a really old website, needs some work, and right now is running dirt slow. So great timing on that, Dave. Yeah, I think that's one of the last websites I have that is not run on a WordPress optimized web host. That's just good old fashioned web hosting. I do not recommend that. I am looking at installing the Bolden WordPress theme from Second Line Themes. Of course, link in the show notes. That one's going to be an affiliate link at schoolofpodcasting.com slash 643. I've heard some things about it. I know Marcus Couch is using this and a couple other things, but I haven't used it yet. And I'll be reporting on that in the future. Now let's flip it around. We've heard all the details from everybody that contributed. And again, everybody will be out at schoolofpodcasting.com slash 643. But what if you go, eh, you know, this this starting your own network thing sounds like a lot of work. What if I want to join a network? Well, it's going to be kind of the same thing as if you wanted to be a guest on somebody's show. You got to make sure, is your show a good fit? We heard Daniel say, look, I do a clean comedy show. All my shows are clean and you're coming in and your show is called Marty McFace in the holes, bitch, mother or whatever's. Yeah, I don't think your show is going to fit. So this does mean you're going to need to do some homework. Now, the other thing you might want to look at is see on their website, are they taking submissions? Because there may be something on the website that says, yeah, we're not. The other thing, are they going to require that you change your media host? So if you're on Blueberry, do you need to move to Lipson? If you're on Spreaker, do you have to go to Podbean? Because realize when you do that, if they say, yep, you got to move, you're going to lose your stats. So you definitely want to export those, whatever system you're using, to keep for historical purposes. The other thing, do you have to redirect your feed? Well, if you're switching hosts, you're going to redirect your feed. But again, it's something you want to ask. But more importantly, you want to know that in the event you decide to leave, will they redirect your feed? In other words, are you able to take your audience with you? That's a biggie. Because if they say, uh-uh, deal breaker, not going to work. Here's a big one. Go to their network, see who's on it, and then ask them, hey, can you tell me what were your numbers like before you were on the network? I'm thinking of joining. And what were your numbers after you joined the network? Now, I realize that's kind of rude. You don't normally go up to somebody and go, hey, tell me about your numbers. But I think if you explain, I'm thinking of joining the network, and you might want to do this to a few people because just because you find one doesn't mean everybody's going to do that. But you might want to ask again, try to do that somewhat tactfully, ask them again for the details if you're bringing in your own sponsor. So we heard how both Daniel and Glenn will cut you a deal if you bring in your own sponsor. That's kind of cool. Also, if part of the bonus of being on the network is they're going to rotate a banner, like an actual image banner on the website, to that I just simply say, really? Ooh, zing. That's a bonus. I mean, this is where you kind of have to reverse engineer and go, when was the last time you clicked on a banner ad? Also, is the platform built on some sort of non-free service? So if they go, yeah, we're building our our network on Anchor, to which I just say, they've spent $14 million. They haven't earned a dime yet. 
in general, most free media hosts go out of business in about 30 months. Just saying, just a little thing I like to call the facts. So as we start to wrap this up, does being on a network help? Well, when cross-promotion is done right, sure. Now, I know personally, I've listened to some shows that have a pre-roll. You know, you're listening to the blah, blah, blah network and such and such and such and such. I've never been inspired to check them out. That's just me. A pre-roll where they say, hey, I'm, you know, Binky and the Wiz from the Binky and the Wiz show, and you're listening to the School of Podcast. I'm never inspired to go to listen to Binky and the Wiz. Now, if the host says, man, I was listening to this crazy morning show, Binky and the Wiz, these guys were crazy. You got to go check out their podcast. Then I might. So keep that, again, reverse engineer and ask yourself, have you ever gone to listen to some other network show because you heard a 10-second promo at the beginning? To me. That's not great promotion. It's awareness, it's branding, but it doesn't make me click. You got to give me a reason. Why do you want me to listen? Not just because you're on the network. Now realize there is something to that. Like I will watch a show on HBO almost without reading what it's about because most of the stuff on HBO is pretty good. I will not say that anymore for Netflix. Originally, I would say that, but now... It just seems like Netflix will give anybody their own show regardless of talent. So those are some things to think about. And in the end, realize that being on a network may not be something that's going to work for you. Starting your own network may not work for you either. And that's okay. There are plenty, and I mean plenty of podcasters that are not on a network and that are not creating their own network. So please Don't feel like you have some sort of fear of missing out because you're not doing one or the other. You just be your lone wolf. You concentrate on your audience. You give them value on a consistent basis, and you just do what you do. Don't worry about it. But I had a lot of people ask about this, and I want to thank everybody who contributed. That includes... Glenn the Geek Hebert over at horseradionetwork.com, Daniel J. Lewis from noodle.mx and the audacity2podcast.com, Chris Nessie from edupodcastnetwork.com, Stephen Jeanru from gunageek.com, and Christopher Brian Jones from trek.fm, and of course, Mignon Fogarty, you might know her as Grammar Girl, from quickanddirtytips.com. If you're listening to this on the 5th of November, 2018, and you're in Pittsburgh, come see me. I'm at the Libsyn office. We're doing a Libsyn podcaster meetup. And if you're listening to it of the week, it's been delivered this Saturday. I will be at DC PodFest. Actually, I'll be at DC PodFest all weekend. I'll be speaking on Saturday. And if you're coming to that event please say hi to me. And if you're not coming to that event and you're in the DC area, what is wrong with you? This is a great event. Check it out, dcpodfest.com. And if you're looking to start a podcast, I would love to help you. Simply go out to schoolofpodcasting.com slash start. Use the coupon code listener. That will save you 20% on either a monthly or yearly subscription. And I wanted to say this now as we get ready for the holidays. If you're looking for a giant Black Friday sale where it goes like 60% off, I did that one year 
I made it to where it was like a no-brainer to sign up for the School of Podcasting, and I'm just here to tell you I'm never going to do that again to where it's just like, what is the price? That was crazy because everybody that signed up, none of them started a podcast. It was just like, ah, I just want to, and that's not, I'm looking for willing, eager students. So check it out, schoolofpodcasting.com slash start. Use the coupon code listener, and I will see you on the inside. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week, take care. Class is dismissed. I'm going to help you massage your message. I'm going to help you face your fears. I'm going to help you flatten that technology, flatten the technology. I'm going to help you flatten that technology with a big old anchor or something like that. Roadrunner style, baby. Award-winning Hall of Fame podcaster Dave Jackson thanking you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to little old me. I do appreciate that. Scott Johnson hates it when I say little old me. I got to quit doing that. So we've heard from Chris and Glenn and really all of our concrete. Ah, oh, jeez. Minyong Fogarty, you might know her as Grammar Girl from Quick and Dirty, Dirty, Dirty. Seriously? Dur- okay. Time to go to bed. Okay.